0: The book of John chapter 20 this morning in your Bible. John chapter 20. How many of you have your Bible with you today? Hold it up in the air. Let's see if you're still bringing them. All right. You wouldn't know if I were preaching the truth or not if you didn't have that, would you? So John chapter 20 today in the Bible, a wonderful passage here dealing with the resurrection day. And I've entitled it, We Are All Missionaries. We're All Missionaries. In chapter 20, and we will begin reading in verse 19. Stand with me, if you will, please, as we read God's Word together. John chapter 20, and beginning in verse 19 through 21. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, When the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus, and he stood in the midst, and he said unto them, Peace be unto you. This is the first time that all of them had seen the Lord. and It was the evening, of course, of the resurrection. And when he had so said, verse 20, he showed unto them his hands and his side. And then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And we're always glad when we see him, are we not? And in verse 21, then said Jesus unto them, peace be unto you. Here's the text for we're all missionaries. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And you may be seated. What we have come to call the Great Commission occurs five times in the New Testament. The book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. In other places, it's more detailed. This is the simplest account and the shortest account of this Great Commission, the commissioning of the Lord Jesus Christ to his people to send them into the world to do his work. And in this version of the great commission here it is i guess i guess this passage this phrase has been the basis for more people called to foreign mission work than any other single passage in the bible i don't know how many mission conferences i've been to and this was the theme uh, as the father hath sent me so send i you I don't know how many missionaries I've heard stand and say, uh, we were called to the field, my wife and I, my husband and I, when one day we read or heard this passage of Scripture, so send I you. As the Father sent me, so send I you. And I remember one particular instance, and don't think that youth camp is not important for our young people, because I can tell you this is... uh, over a half century later now, I guess. And I was at a youth camp over on the other side of Sumter near Wedgefield at a Camp Burnt Gin. It's a state 4-H camp. But that week, our church rented it, and it was a church camp. A missionary came, and to show you how long ago it was, he was a missionary to Cuba, so there hadn't been any missionaries in Cuba in a long time. But uh, this would have been in the late fifties or early sixties. And I was a teenage young man. And even though all these years have passed, I remember distinctly what that missionary preached on. He spent all week on one phrase. On Monday, he spoke on a missionary is a person. And on Tuesday, he spoke on sent by God. And on Wednesday, he spoke on to tell another person. And on Thursday, he spoke on about Jesus Christ. And that's the greatest definition of a missionary I've ever heard. Let me put it together for you. A missionary is a person sent by God, God sent, sent as Jesus was sent, to tell another person about Jesus Christ. We complicate things so often. That's really all a missionary is. A person sent by God to tell somebody else about Jesus Christ. So today with me, I want you to take about three little points home with you in your mind. Number one, a missionary is a person on a mission. A missionary is a person on a mission. That's almost redundant. That's almost an insult to your intelligence, isn't it? But I have to make the point. A missionary is on a mission. That's the root of the word. He is one called and one sent. Now, have you ever thought about how a missionary begins their ministry and how they do what they do in their life's work? First thing, they get a plane from America today. I don't think anybody still uses the ships anymore. And they fly over to a foreign country. They go to the east or the west the north or the south, but it's another country. We think of missionaries as being people who operate across cultures, (laughs) cross-cultural work is missionary work. They finally arrive at the airport after a long flight, and they have their bags they've probably brought extra bags because they have every possession that they have they have their family and they are standing there on the curb they may not know one single person in that whole nation and so they call for a cab or a bus or some a taxi something and they find them a hotel they've got to have some place to spend the night above everything and so They go and they find some place to stay for a day or two. And then the first order of business would be, we've got to find somewhere to live. Well, in the taxi, they met a taxi driver. And if they're already on mission, they're thinking this guy might be a prospect for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They might write his name down. And they go to a realtor's office or to somebody that might have the ability to rent them a home or an apartment, some place to stay, at least temporarily, until they can find a more permanent home. And again, they meet a person. And because they're on mission, they're aware of every single person that crosses their path. They are very soul conscious, very, very aware of everyone entering their life. And then after they have rented a place, they have to turn on the power and they have to turn on the water and they go to the offices of those places, and they meet people. And then they go to the market, and they shop. They've got to stock the house, so they go to the grocery store, as we would call it, and they purchase food. And I know when I went over to the country where my children were missionaries, and when I've gone to other places, they don't have a ballo and piggly wiggly and and uh, all the stores that we have, food line and so on, you don't go in a big shopping center. You actually go to markets where they have, you know, uh, so you meet somebody who sells you the meat. And then you meet somebody else and they sell you the eggs. In fact, Grant Skelton wrote the other day and he said, one of the people we're praying for and trying to reach for the Lord is the egg lady. Well, I knew exactly who the egg lady was. She would be the woman who worked at the egg counter. And when you go buy your groceries, you talk to the egg lady. You talk to the, the uh, lady at the vegetable stand. You talk to the meat man. And so you, every one of those people, you're meeting people is my point. And if you're astute and you're there on mission, you know what? You're not letting one of those names slip by you. And you get in the taxi or the bus, and, and as you ride, They probably say to you something like this, you're an American, why are you here? And you say to them, well, I'm a missionary. I'm on mission. I have a specific objective in my mind of what I would like to do with my life. And you go, then you get settled in and you take the kids to a park, but you meet people. And you go to a restaurant to eat and you meet people. And then uh, you have maybe some friends, and you make some relationships, and we say, why don't you come over to our house, and we'll play uh, Monopoly tonight, or we'll do something, you know. We'll make cookies. And you get the names, and you begin to cultivate those relationships. Everything you do is geared toward reaching people with the gospel. That's why you came. You're on mission. You have a specific task and you want to accomplish it? Why would you leave your home, your nation, your country, your friends, your church, everything that you have, your family back here in America? Why would you go over there if you didn't have something that was so absolutely compelling that it just overwhelmed you and it obsessed you almost throughout your life? You want to reach people for Christ. That's why you're here. And you don't reach them in masses. You reach them one one at a time. In in truth, there is no mass evangelism. People have to come to Christ one-on-one. They have to come individually and receive him as their Savior. And so wherever this missionary goes, he or she is conscious. They're aware of the people around them. And what they learn is you use the normal relationships of life, family, Relatives, friends, work associates, neighbors, customers, vendors, whatever you do, you use the normal relationships of life and you share the gospel and work with those people. You invite them into your life. You play games with them. You eat with them. You go to restaurants with them. You watch sports with them. You drink coffee with them. But everywhere in your life, you're focused on other people because you believe that Christ died for their sins, and you're there to tell them about it. And in time, some of them come to Christ. And the missionary understands that if we don't have a church, why, they're going to fall away. They're going to wither. They're going to be lost to the cause of Christ. So the missionary usually plants a church, and he baptizes people, and he establishes them in the faith. He helps them grow. He gives them discipleship training and resources he gets them to come there and hear him preach the word because he's interested in developing in them into spiritual maturity in their life. And really, what that missionary is doing, and I hope you figured it out now, he, what he does is no different than what we do. He goes to the store. He goes to a park. He goes to a restaurant. He takes his children to school. He goes and shops. Whatever he does is really no different than what we do here in America, except that the missionary understands I am on a mission. I am on a mission. I have a reason to be here, I have a specific objective in my mind. Now, in that sense, all of us are missionaries. We're all missionaries. Look at chapter 20 of the book of John again in verse number 21. Did Jesus say, now this is just for people who decide to go across to another country or another culture? No, he didn't say that. He obviously speaking to his disciples included everyone. As the Father sent me from heaven to this earth, so send I you. You are sent on the same mission that I'm sent on. You're sent by the same heavenly Father that sent me. So send I you. So I would say that John 20 and 21 is every single Christian's call to missionary service. I want to say to you today, nobody's ever told you this perhaps, you are a missionary. You're in the midst of a lost and dying culture. And that culture is dark and it needs light. And that culture around you is controlled by Satan and sin and evil. And you don't have to go very far to find it, do you? And that God has placed you where you are, if assuming you're in his will in any degree, God has put you there on mission to be a Missionary. I preached at a church over near Augusta, Georgia, down in the country there, south of Augusta, uh, just on the South Carolina border there. And there was a sign over the door, and I never will forget it. This has been uh, 20 years ago or so, I guess. And it was a small kind of a country church and probably two or 300 people there. But one door uh, into, the, into the auditorium, just one of those long rectangular auditoriums that you see, Over the door, there was a sign, and the whole time I was preaching, I could read it. It said, You are now leaving, or you are now entering the mission field. You're now entering the mission field. And it was right there where everybody walking out when you exited, you would see it. The people, their back was to it, but when I was preaching, I saw it the whole time. You are now entering the mission field. And so whoever put it there understood the principle that I'm saying today that when we walk out the doors of this church, that is the mission field. See, we get confused. We have the idea that a a missionary is somebody supported by a church or a denomination or uh, some religious organization, and they pay their salary, and they're full-time workers for the Lord, and probably they went to seminary or Bible college or something, they had some preparation, and they go over there, and they're missionaries, but we're not missionaries. We are just we're supposed to pray for them and send them some money from the church's offering plate. But no, 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 ladies and gentlemen, we're all missionaries. I'm a missionary, you're a missionary. There's nobody that doesn't have this call who is a saved person, So send I you. And our mission field. I did a little work on it this week to think about our mission field right here. We live in what is called the PD area of South Carolina, as you know, the northeastern quadrant of the state of South Carolina. When I began to do the research, I thought nobody even knows what the PD is. Some places said it was nine counties, some said 10, some 11, some 12. So it depends on whether you want to include Sumter and and, uh, some of these other outlying areas in it, but. The P.D. area is the, the northeastern quadrant. And I figured it on the minimum of about nine counties here. And here's some demographics to tell you about our mission field. When I came here in 1970, 1969, the last two months of it, but the 1970 census said Florence County had 89,636 people living in it, the whole county. And the city had 25,900 people in the city limits of Florence. And then in 2015 now, the area has grown by over 50%. And the 2015 survey said that Florence County has 138,900 people living in it. 100, let's say one hundred and forty. Uh, 139,000 people live in in Florence County. And in the city of Florence, there are 39,000 plus. So both the county and the city have grown about the same amount. They've both grown a little bit over 50% each since the church has been here. Now, look around. You can see how many people are in here. But while we've been gathering this many people, the city and the county has grown over 40% percent or over 50 percent. That represents tens of thousands of people. Well, there's a few churches been started since I came, probably a handful, maybe 10 churches or 12 churches. If you added up all their population, the people in attendance today, it isn't keeping up with the growth. We are falling behind. In reaching people in an area like this But hey that's not everything Because as you well know Florence is the the shopping center For the whole P.D. region And when you look at the P.D. region Do you know there are over 900,000 people That live in the P.D. area of South Carolina now 900,000 And that would be um, Florence County of course and Darlington, and Williamsburg, and Marion, and Dillon, and, and Chester, and O'Ree, and, 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 and whatever they are. 900, that's almost a million people live within driving distance of this church on our mission field. There are people sitting right over here. I just spotted them as I glanced across. They're from Bennettsville, South Carolina. That's Marlborough County. That's part of our region. There are people sitting over here from Oree County. That's part of our region. And as I look over the congregation, if I thought about it and and focused on it, we've got people from almost every one of those counties attending here, but just a handful. But my point is there's almost a million people live in the PD area, South Carolina. Now, I consider that our mission field because our television ministry more than covers that and a lot more too. So, we're covering, we're getting our signal into those homes where the gospel could be heard by them. And we're involved in those counties. We're involved in this area. Some of you work at, over in those counties, and uh, you live here in Florence and so on. In other words, I'm trying to get you to focus on and see that there is abundant opportunity everywhere. And what is our challenge as a church? Now, we're almost 48 years old. And the history of churches when they're 48 is they don't do much more. To be honest, they just turn inward and they take care of each other and they have funerals and a few weddings and and they just kind of go on out and they dwindle and they die and they don't don't make much impact on the community around them. So I don't want us to be like that and I don't think we're going to be like that. But we've got to keep in mind who we are, why we're here, and what God has called us to do. He called us. He said, I sent you as I have been sent, even so I sent you. And there's a million people, almost 900,000 people living in your area that you can impact and touch those people. They're not all going to come to church here. But here's what I do believe. I believe every person on this planet deserves a fair hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every person on the planet deserves a fair hearing. And when I say fair hearing, I mean they deserve the opportunity for somebody to sit down and give them a clear, simple, understandable explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's our challenge today. In other words, our challenge is to share the gospel with 900,000 people that live within driving distance or for the most part of this church. To reach every available person. They're not all available. I understand that. But many of them are, thousands of them are, to reach every available person by every available means. We do whatever we can that's a legitimate means methodology to reach people with the gospel of Christ and we and we do it over and over because people don't get saved the first time they hear the gospel by and large. The statistics tell us that people have to slowly come to an understanding of the gospel. They've got to hear the gospel about 7.6 times before they receive it if you uh, read the statistics and so on. And so if that be true, we got 900,000 people that need to hear the gospel about eight times each. Don't you think we have a pretty big task ahead of us as a church? It's not any time to slow down or to back off or to, to get lazy in the process. God has called us. He has sent us. We are his missionaries and We live on his mission field. His mission field being what? The PD region in South Carolina. My, what a challenge. What a task. It could keep us all busy full time from now on. In the book of Acts chapter 5 and verse 28, would you turn there in your Bible? There's a little phrase I want you to see. This is right after the Acts 2 Church really got going well. I mean, they had revved up their engine and they were on the move here for the Lord. And look what it says in Acts chapter 5 and verse 28. The authorities in Jerusalem had arrested them for preaching the gospel. And what did the authorities allege? What did they accuse them of doing? Here's what they said about that Acts 2 Church. You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine wow has it ever been said of the florence baptist temple you have filled your city with your doctrine that was what they accused the acts 2 church of doing and then go over to acts chapter 17 in your bible verse number 6 now we're 40 years ahead of of the original passage there and in acts 17 and 6 These Christians have now spread clear across Israel and into Greece uh, into a city called Thessalonica. And when they arrive in Thessalonica, what did some people there say about these first century Christians? These that have turned the world upside down have come here also. (laughs) Man, I like that. These guys, we've been hearing about them, and they've been preaching the gospel, and the Lord's been using them, and they are turning their society upside down, and now they're here. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you'd hear accusations like that about the Florence Baptist Temple? You see, what was it that turned the world upside down? And what was the doctrine that they filled their city with? What was the gospel? It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, several times in this series of messages on Andrew's army, I've defined for you the gospel. And I want to do it again, and I've said it, and I'm I'm repeating it intentionally because I want you to get this branded on your mind and never forget it. What is the gospel? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, Paul tells us what the gospel is. He said, I declare unto you the gospel. I declare to you the gospel. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, I'm defending the gospel. I'm a reader of apologetics. I believe in being able to defend our faith. But the truth is, I'm afraid that a lot of evangelical Christians right now are spending more time figuring out how to defend it than they are to proclaim it. Paul said, I declare unto you the gospel. We need to declare it more than we even do to defend it, ladies and gentlemen. And what is the gospel? I told you you can summarize it in 10 words. I want you to get those 10 words in your mind. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. 10 words. And it summarizes 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 5. Everybody say it with me together. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. That's the gospel, the good news, the life-changing message that will absolutely, totally transform an individual's life. One more time, everybody. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. That is so simple. Don't let the simplicity uh, fool you in this. You see, it is very, very simple, but it is the most profound thing in all the world. All the libraries of the world have not been able to hold the truth of that passage. It's like an ocean of truth. And you think that you really have comprehended all the implications of it, and then you find out, no, I have not that God became a man in the person of Jesus. Amazing. Amazing that he would even care and that he sent the Lord Jesus and he lived here among us for 33 years. He lived a sinless life, a perfect life. He never said one wrong word, never said one, never had one wrong, evil thought. He did nothing but good. And yet men crucified him. And when he died, he died for our sins. Oh, what a song that was that Sue sung. I believe that's the first time she sung that song. There's the gospel in that song. How God cared and he came and the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for our sins. Do you know what the Bible says about Jesus Christ dying for our sins? It's such an important thing. It says in first John 2 2, He is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means the sacrifice or the satisfaction. Our sins had offended God, who is a just and holy God. And Jesus' death on the cross was to satisfy the justice of God, to balance the books, to pay the penalty. He is the propitiation for our sins. But listen to this. And not for our sins only. Are you listening? But for the sins of the whole world. That's for the other 900,000 people in the PD area. The drug addict. The immoral person the guy with a filthy mouth, the hypocrite Christian, the person who's cruel, vulgar, the person who is moral and self-righteous and depending on his good life to get him to heaven, the rich and the poor and the educated and the grade school dropout. The little child, the youth in the midst of their vigor, and the old man in the nursing home. He died for our sins, but he died for the sins of the whole world. There's nobody beyond his grace. Nobody for whom he did not die. Comprehend that, church. Get a hold of that. You never will meet anybody that's the wrong person to witness to because he died for their sins. Every one of us. John 1.29, John introduced him. The Lamb of God who takes away what? The sins of the world. If we can get hold of that, Jesus died for every person in the P.D., we tend to think about that and apply that to China and Latin America, but he died for us right here. And then every time in the New Testament, when it mentions the death of Christ, almost it mentions the resurrection of Christ. Because if he had not arose, it would mean that God didn't accept his payment, but God accepted his sacrifice. Sin is now paid for, says God, on the day of the crucifixion. The price has been paid, and now God raises him from the dead to demonstrate that eternal life is in his son, that the penalty of sin has now been paid. And in the book of Acts, turn there with me, chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. This is an old verse that I just sort of rediscovered here, and it's been a blessing to me as I've studied recently. In the book of Acts chapter 10, In verse number 43, talking about the Lord Jesus, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, now here it is, catch it, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. doesn't say whosoever believeth in him and is baptized or joins a church. It doesn't say who believes in him and lives a good moral life. Whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission, payment for their sins. Their sins are paid for. Now, you know what that word believe means because I've emphasized it. It means to trust. Just as I trust the chair, I used the illustration a week or two ago. Just as I trust the chair to hold me up, I trust in the blood of Jesus Christ to remit my sins. And when I fully and completely do that, He not only cleanses me of my sin, but the Holy Spirit comes in and lives within me and creates eternal life as a gift, a free gift that He gives to us. In a minute, I'm going to give the invitation. Sound like Junior Hill, don't I? He starts out saying that. (laughs) In a moment, I'm going to give the invitation. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ, oh, I beg you to come. This church is organized around and geared up to help and encourage you come to know Christ as your Savior. We make our professions public here because we believe that if you truly believe, you're not ashamed of Jesus Christ. That's what he said. He he said, if you believe in me, you'll not be ashamed. Belief that is not powerful enough to walk down the aisle of a church and make a public profession is probably not powerful enough to save you. You probably haven't really fully decided. So when I give the invitation in a moment, I want you to come. I want you to remember that verse. If you believe in him, your sins are remitted because he died for the sins of the world, the whole world. And in John 3, it says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because basically he's rejected Christ. After what Jesus did on the cross for you, are you telling me you could reject that? No, you can't do that. Don't do that. Now, in your program today, I put this little card. Andrew's army. I've been preaching on it. Of course, Andrew was the disciple who every time we see him in the Bible, he's trying to get people to Jesus. He's always bringing people to Jesus. John 1, John 6, John 12, Matthew 4. He's always getting people to Jesus. And so I thought it fitting to name an army of people after this man who has one thing in mind. Let's get people to Jesus. And this morning, I want to begin enlisting people in Andrew's army and if you really hold my if you believe what I've preached today I want you to sign up in Andrew's army now I'm not pressuring you to do so I'm going to announce this from now the end of uh, or probably down about the end of November I want to get everybody I can to sign up and here's what we're signing up for One, I want you to start being concerned about the people in the P.D. area. I want you to start thinking of yourself. I'm a missionary, and I'm on a mission field of 900,000 people here in South Carolina's P.D., and I want you to think about the people in your life, not the numberless multitudes. I want you to think about people that you know, people that you work with, people that are members of your family, neighbors down the street or across the way. You play on a softball team, or you play golf with some folks. You shop with some things. You, you uh, go out to ball games with certain people. Those are the people, the people in your life who are non-Christians, or you don't know. You've never even talked to them about it. But you, you intend at some point here to find out. And so I want you to develop a list of those. In fact, I want you to put that in your Bible. I hope you will. And pray for those people by name on a regular basis. And you're going to begin to see God open doors. And that's number two. Then you pray and minister to them. You seek opportunities to witness to them, to share the gospel, and ultimately, hopefully, even to lead them to Christ. And some of them you may not have that opportunity, but you can bring them to church. And they'll hear the gospel as you've heard it this morning, as you heard it last week, as you heard it the week before that. Because that's the commission. Our Lord said to the churches, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I I watched a sermon on television. I won't say who it was, but I thought, man, that guy had such an opportunity, a vast crowd of people in front of him and he didn't even touch the gospel. He didn't even come close to it, and I thought, "Oh man, the world today is in such shape. Oh, we just we've got to win our community and our region and as many as we can to the Lord Jesus Christ. So develop a concern for people. that's all I'm asking you to sign up for. And then when you have an opportunity, share the gospel, and I've told you so many different ways you have to do it witnessing personally, giving people a tract. A young man told me this morning, I've been giving out bundles of those tracts, amen. Somebody asked me, how, many, how much do we spend on tracts? Well, I think last year about 12,000, 15,000. I'd like to spend 25,000 and give out twice as many. Now, don't waste them. But the tract is a silent witness. It lays there. Sometimes for weeks and months, give out the tracks to people that you know need them. There's email. There's Facebook. I I beg you, put your testimony, your story of how you know Christ and what he means to you, put it on your Facebook page. Man, it's so much better than the idle gossip people have on those things. Tell people about Jesus and what he's done in your life. Put it on Facebook. Don't be ashamed of him. We had a man write to his entire high school class a personal letter and told him what the Lord had done in his life after being in Vietnam, being on drugs and everything else, and how God saved him and changed his life. He wrote 70 personal letters. He's heard from 20 of those people who said, I appreciate you telling me. Wonderful, wonderful. And then you always try to bring people to church to hear the gospel of Christ. And if you sign up and you'll put your email, and we can read it, big point. If you'll write your name legibly, sign your name and then print the name after that, if you will. Because I work in the office, I see what happens over there. And uh, some of you write in hieroglyphics. And then put your email, I put mine there, bmonroe at fbt.org periodically I'm going to send you an email. Not every day. I don't like that myself. But about once a month, I'm going to send you an email. I'm going to encourage you and give you a tip and a testimony and just encourage you to keep on keeping on. And we'll send that out to you regularly. And then I want you to close by looking at Daniel chapter 12 in the Bible with me. Daniel chapter 12. This is such a wonderful promise. Now, what is there in it for you to be a missionary to the PD. What is there in it for you? Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. Now here it is. You might want to underline this. This is is your reward. This is how God's going to pay you for being a faithful witness. They that turn many to righteousness will shine, first part of the verse, as the stars forever and ever. I don't know what he's referencing there specifically, but I do know this. There's a special reward that God has for people who share the gospel and try to bring others to Christ. In other words, here's the Monroe translation. For those who are in Andrew's army, they will shine forever and ever. (laughs) Amen. So if God has spoken to you, I don't want everybody to do it just because I said to do it. I don't want you to do it because I preached a sermon on it. But I want to help you keep a constant awareness in your life that people need Christ and you have the gospel and you're a missionary. You're a person sent by God to tell another person about Jesus Christ. Stand to your feet with me if you will, please.